Welcome back to Bitcoin Builders. Today, we are doing a Bitcoin weekly roundup, actually a couple weekly roundups bundled into one. And we've got everything from institutional interest in Bitcoin increasing, to a Mt. Gox delay, to a long uncovered Hal Finney talk. Bitcoin Builders is of course made possible by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated entirely to Bitcoin and Lightning. Go to wolfnyc.com. It's Sunday, September 24th. This is Bitcoin Builders. Let's go. All right, friends, we have a ton to catch up on. Despite it being a bear, Bitcoin does not stop. And where we're going to begin is in the world of institutions. Gigantic Japanese investment bank Nomura have launched their first crypto fund, and of course, the product is Bitcoin exposure. Nomura's crypto unit called Laser Digital Asset Management has begun offering the Bitcoin Adoption Fund. The fund will provide institutional investors with access to long-only exposure to Bitcoin. Custody of assets will be provided by Komenu, which is a crypto custody firm co-founded by Nomura in 2018 in collaboration with Ledger and CoinShares. Laser Digital said the Bitcoin fund is the first in a range of crypto investment products to be launched as part of a push into asset management. Now, to date, the crypto division of Nomura, which was launched last year, has been largely focused on its venture investment business. The firm invested in over 10 startups to date. In June, Laser Digital acquired Elysium Technology Group to provide post-trade settlement of over-the-counter digital asset trading, and the firm has also received licensing in Dubai to provide crypto broker-dealer and asset management services. Sebastian Guglietto, who heads up Laser Digital's asset management, said of the new fund, Technology is a key driver of global economic growth and is transforming a large part of the economy from analog to digital. Bitcoin is one of the enablers of this long-lasting transformational change, and long-term exposure to Bitcoin offers a solution to investors to capture this macro trend. Stack Hodler tweeted, Franklin Templeton applies for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Nomura launches spot Bitcoin fund for institutions. Deutsche Bank reveals Bitcoin custody service. And that's just in the last week. Institutions are preparing for currency devaluations while retail drools over 5.5% risk-free from Uncle Sam. The risk-reward has never looked better for BTC. Dan Held put it even more simply, saying, The next bull run is going to be wild with institutions buying Bitcoin. Now, moving to our next story, despite persistent claims that no one uses Bitcoin, an awful lot of people are lining up to use Bitcoin. This year has consistently seen unprecedented amounts of transactions waiting to be processed. Over the past month, the mempool has been consistently filled up, and currently around 460,000 transactions are waiting to be placed in a block. Fees are sitting at mild levels despite the congestion, with high-priority transactions costing around $1. Still, this bear market enthusiasm for on-chain transactions could provide a window into the future of the Bitcoin network. One of the most persistent criticisms and concerns around Bitcoin is that the security model is unsustainable. The critique is that after a few halving cycles, the block reward will be too low to properly fund miners. Now, pushback on this theory centers around either the idea that fees will replace block rewards due to high demand for block space, or that the difficulty adjustment will ensure that miners are adequately compensated. The latter explanation, of course, implies a significant increase in Bitcoin's price or a reduction in overhead costs for miners. Now, the high level of demand we're seeing for block space is undoubtedly good for miners. We're currently seeing completely filled blocks being mined, which means that miners are being paid much larger and more consistent fees. According to Dune Analytics, this is the longest period of full blocks in the history of Bitcoin. In fact, the unprecedented demand for block space is completely unlike any bear market we've seen before. Between late 2021 and the beginning of this year, the mempool rarely had more than 10,000 transactions waiting to be processed. Now, it's probably no coincidence that the mempool began to fill up around the same time that ordinals became a thing. 
But the bigger takeaway is probably that if there are more things to do on-chain, there will be more demand to use that block space. CASA CTO Jameson Lopp tweeted, The future of Bitcoin's security budget is a Schrodinger's cat. Anyone who claims to know what will happen is relying on unprovable assumptions. One thing is clear, the best way to fend off a security budget crisis is to continue furthering adoption on all fronts. Now, speaking on changes in the mining environment, in our next story, a Bloomberg analyst has sung the praises of Bitcoin's shift to renewable energy. On Wednesday, Jamie Kautz published a report on Bloomberg Intelligence highlighting that renewable energy is now well over 50%. To justify this claim, Kautz referenced the open-source energy model published by renewable energy and Bitcoin investor Daniel Batten. The model shows a massive spike in the use of renewable energy by Bitcoin miners following the 2021 Chinese mining ban, and another following the crackdown in Kazakhstan last year. Critically, this article was noteworthy for choosing to use a Bitcoin energy model provided by a figure from within the industry, rather than simply relying on the model published by Cambridge, or if they're attempting to find the worst possible data, even less reputable models. Batten's model appears to have been chosen not because it was the most favorable, but rather because it's now viewed as one of the most accurate methodologies for measuring the energy mix used by Bitcoin miners. Kautz drew attention to the fact that the Bitcoin hash rate has increased 286% since the all-time high price in November 2021. Yet despite this rapid growth in hash rate, carbon emissions associated with Bitcoin mining have been cut in half since then. Some novel analysis from Kautz compared Bitcoin's emissions to the overall value stored on the network. By his calculations, emissions per dollar of market cap have collapsed by 75% since 2019. In a Twitter thread summarizing the article, Kautz wrote, This is where the rubber meets the road. Bitcoin as a global monetary network is scaling while its carbon impact declines. Few industries can claim this achievement. He added that, quote, If the network scales to hundreds of millions of users, the impact on global carbon emissions will be minimal, and the technology itself is likely to play a pivotal role in the transition away from fossil fuels. From a geopolitical and national energy policy standpoint, this places the Bitcoin mining industry in a unique position that will likely accelerate network adoption, but may also pose new challenges. Now, staying in the world of miners for one more moment, Bitcoin miners have flocked to support a new policy group. The Digital Power Network was spun off from the Chamber of Digital Commerce in August to promote the Bitcoin mining industry in Washington. The group hopes to educate lawmakers on how miners can contribute to grid stabilization and make investment in renewable energy more feasible. Alongside industry-aligned goals, the lobbying group hopes to raise the level of discussion about realistic and responsible power infrastructure. The group has now announced its first batch of membership from the mining industry. It includes Argo, BitDigital, BitFarms, CoinMint, CypherMining, Digihost, Hive, Marathon, Riot, Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol, and TerraWolf. Together, these firms represent over 50% of US-based hashing power. CEO of the Chamber of Digital Commerce, Perry Ann Boring, said, We are thrilled to introduce our inaugural affiliate organization, the Digital Power Network. Digital asset mining, at its heart, is both an energy and national security matter. And we firmly believe that Bitcoin will drive policies that unite all political stakeholders to advance this crucial industry in the United States. Mining executives appear to be excited about meaningfully engaging with policymakers on the topics they are passionate about, namely energy and Bitcoin. Jason Less, the CEO of Riot, said, At its core, Bitcoin mining converts stranded low-cost energy into a valuable commodity, which is why our industry has tremendous potential. Fred Thiel, the CEO of Marathon, said, Having a voice like the Digital Power Network in Washington is important for ensuring that the perspectives of digital energy stakeholders are considered. Now, overall, representatives of the Digital Power Network said they wanted to help position the U.S. as a leader in the digital energy revolution by aligning economic growth with environmental sustainability. The group has hit the ground running over the past month, introducing the first pro-proof-of-work resolution in the House of Representatives. Now, let's cut to a quick ad break before we get back to the rest of the show. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated to lightning. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and lightning. The program is designed to help early stage startups achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early stage funding, and grow businesses that fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. Learn more or apply at wolfnyc.com. That's wolfnyc.com. And now back to the show. Well, moving away from mining and towards another topic that has just lingered forever in the Bitcoin world, the longest running bankruptcy process in the industry has hit another snag, with Mt. Gox trustees announcing yet another delay in distribution. The Mt. Gox bankruptcy has been, of course, ongoing since 2014 when the exchange went under following a security breach. At the time, Mt. Gox managed around 70% of Bitcoin circulating supply. Over 850,000 Bitcoin were stolen over the course of the hack. The estate expects to return around 20% of funds to creditors and has committed to returning Bitcoin rather than converting the assets to cash. Around 142,000 Bitcoin are expected to be distributed, but that process has been delayed again and again over the past nine years. Creditors were most recently given a deadline of January this year to register claims and opt into a distribution in Bitcoin. Now, as you might expect, concerns have been raised that distribution of this much Bitcoin could trigger a black swan event in markets. Over the years, many creditors' claims have been bought out by distressed asset investors and crypto firms, which could increase the incentive to sell out and lock in gains. When Mt. Gox collapsed, Bitcoin was valued at around $420. And while the market for Mt. Gox claims was less active in the early years, the expectation is still that claims transacted at a steep discount to the expected distribution. Now, the deadline for distribution had already been pushed back once earlier this year. In April, the Mt. Gox trustee said that the deadline for creditors to register repayment information had passed, and the repayment deadline was set to take place on October 31st this year, fitting seeing as that's the publication date of the Bitcoin white paper. Alas, creditors have now been disappointed once again. On Thursday, the trustee wrote to creditors explaining that he had extended the distribution deadline by one year with permission of the Tokyo court, thus meaning that distribution is now scheduled to take place up until October 31st, 2024. The trustee explained that creditors who have provided payment information could receive their distribution as early as the end of this year. However, they added that, quote, the schedule is subject to change depending on the circumstances and the specific timing of repayments to each rehabilitated creditor has not yet been determined. Now, at this point, my perception is that most people don't even really listen to new Mt. Gox news. It's sort of just one of these things that's going to happen when it's going to happen, and whatever will be, will be. I am firmly in the camp that people's worries about market dumping are way overstated, and that it is likely to be not nearly as significant an event as people actually think. Now, moving to a couple stories that happened not this week, but last week, but still are important enough to warrant mentioning, one of the big ones is that Coinbase has firmly committed to implementing Lightning. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong has announced that the exchange would be moving forward with their plans to integrate Lightning. On September 12th, he said in a tweet, The team did a great job digging into this, and we've made the decision to integrate Lightning. Bitcoin is the most important asset in crypto, and we're excited to do our part to enable faster and cheaper Bitcoin transactions. It will take some time to integrate, so please be patient. Now, during the Bitcoin fee spike in May, many exchanges had problems with their Bitcoin withdrawals. Some were configured to pass on fees to customers and so were able to continue functioning, albeit with eye-watering costs to users. Others, most notably Binance, were not set up to scale fees during the network congestion and were forced to shut down withdrawals. This episode spurred many in the industry to realize that Lightning integration would be a necessary feature as Bitcoin adoption grows and cheap transactions become less reliably available. 
Binance completed their Lightning integration in July, and other than some teething problems in the first week, it seems as though the feature is functioning as expected. Now, up until this announcement from Brian, Coinbase had only committed to looking into Lightning. But Armstrong's characterizations of Bitcoin as the most important asset in crypto could also signal a return to Coinbase's roots. The exchange was, of course, launched in 2012 with a single service, buying and selling Bitcoin using U.S. bank accounts. It might seem quaint given how much the industry has evolved since then, but in 2012, simply getting your hands on some Bitcoin was an arduous task. It often involved sending cash through the mail to an anonymous address found on a sketchy internet forum, or figuring out how to wire money to Mt. Gox in Japan. Coinbase was one of the first domestic ways to buy Bitcoin that didn't feel like a scam waiting to happen. Now, of course, this being Bitcoin, it wasn't all sunshine and roses after the announcement. Victor Bunin, a protocol specialist at Coinbase and former founder at Bison Trails, said in a tweet, I'm thrilled that Coinbase is moving forward with supporting Lightning and grateful that I was able to contribute to this decision. Getting to a decision is good, but it's just the start. We have to do the hard work now to not only integrate Lightning, but make it a great experience for our users. We're excited to get started, but also please be patient as we work through it. Pierre Richard, the VP of Research at Riot Platforms, offered some skeptical pushback on Coinbase's commitment to the feature, saying, it may seem unusual to pre-announce a future feature. It is unusual. And traditional product advice would be not to do it. But if there's pockets of extreme internal resistance against the feature, a public commitment can help drive alignment and creates a forcing function to ship the feature. Victor rejected that assertion, responding that the real answer is that pre-announcing helps spur lightning adoption as folks know Coinbase is coming aboard. This advances the lightning ecosystem so other folks can start adding support today rather than when lightning support goes live on Coinbase. Now, if you want to hear more about just how much infrastructure is needed for companies to integrate Lightning, go check out my conversation with Amboss co-founder Jesse Schrader. There's a lot of really interesting information in there. And despite Pierre's skepticism, overall, the response from the Bitcoin and Lightning community was massively positive. Michael Saylor said, excellent decision. Lightning will revolutionize Bitcoin transactions and deliver the power of the Bitcoin network to billions of people worldwide. Adoption of this protocol by every firm in the industry now seems inevitable. Kathy Wood said Bitcoin is the world's digital monetary system and Lightning is Bitcoin's payment layer. Coinbase's integration with Lightning will give its 100 million users an on-ramp to faster and cheaper Bitcoin transactions. Even nominal competitors like Alex Leishman from River said, Coinbase adding Lightning is good for the industry. This means that tens of millions of more people will have a Lightning wallet in their hands. Now, speaking of companies expanding access to Bitcoin, one of the things we've been covering on the regular breakdown has been all of the chaos around crypto custodian Fortress. Well, one of the good things to come out of that is our next story. Bitcoin-only brokerage Swan Bitcoin have announced plans to spin out a Bitcoin-only custody service. The firm will partner with cold storage provider BitGo to develop the service, which will be structured as a trust company. Swan said in a press release, This strategic partnership aims to cater to the growing demand for Bitcoin-specific solutions while addressing the critical security and custody requirements within the Bitcoin ecosystem. End quote. The timeline will depend on whether the partnership elect to acquire an existing trust company or build one themselves. If they choose to acquire, the service could be up and running by Q1 of next year, while establishing a new trust and gathering the relevant regulatory approval could take an additional six months. Now, as I mentioned, Swan has had a rough go of it with their custody providers this year. In June, the firm executed a rapid withdrawal from Prime Trust shortly before it was placed into receivership due to a shortfall in customer accounts. Then earlier this month, Swan's current custodian, Fortress Trust, suffered a security incident related to a third-party software provider. An attacker managed to steal $15 million worth of Bitcoin from Fortress, who were then acquired by Ripple. As part of the deal, Ripple agreed to make customers whole. I said again on that main show that I thought that this was a great response, and I'll reiterate that here. Now, when it comes to this partnership with BitGo, Swan already uses them to provide cold storage for customer assets, 
a move which they claim ensured the safety of funds during the Fortress incident. For BitGo, this move into the regulated trust industry has been a long-time plan. BitGo kicked the tires on Prime Trust before ultimately walking away from an acquisition deal during the due diligence process. They had also been rumored to be in the mix to acquire Fortress. Of the new plans with Swan, BitGo CEO Mike Belshi said, Our teams have worked closely together for nearly a year on stronger qualified custody models. Early in 2023, we recognized the opportunity to establish a Bitcoin-only custodian, combining the capabilities of each company. Now, Swan CEO Corey Klippenstein gave an aspirational pitch for the service, saying, We immediately saw the vision. For years, we've heard from major clients, partners, and other Bitcoin companies that they would prefer a Bitcoin-only services stack focused on strictly the best custody leveraging Bitcoin's unique features. It's important to us to build a custodian without the risks of securing many altcoins within the same trust company as Bitcoin. We want to do our part to build out a dedicated ecosystem for Bitcoin separate from crypto speculators to allow for innovation in custodial offerings. So as you probably heard from that, on the tech side, the project could be an opportunity to build a company solely focused on perfecting institutional-grade Bitcoin custody without the distractions of building support for a broader range of crypto assets. Swan co-founder and CTO Jan Pritzker said, With the Bitcoin-specific trust company, we'll finally be able to deliver the product that marries the best of self-custody service with the components that require qualified custody. This has never been achievable before because existing offerings focus on breadth of token support rather than the absolute best custody for Bitcoin. The new trust company will offer Bitcoin-specific features such as institutional-grade advanced wallet management capabilities and more ways for clients to hold their own keys, inheritance planning, and adoption of new Bitcoin standards as they emerge. Now, the Bitcoin-only services industry is seeing increased competition. Rival brokerage River has successfully built up an in-house Bitcoin-only tech stack over recent years, and competition from traditional financial firms is also heating up. German Goliath Deutsche Bank announced that they had partnered with Swiss crypto firm Taurus to provide crypto custody to its institutional clients, which we're going to get into in just a moment. And while U.S. regulatory barriers have so far made it difficult for onshore banks to offer crypto custody, it feels like just a matter of time before domestic megabanks begin to compete for Bitcoin customers. But let's actually talk about that Deutsche news. So as mentioned, Deutsche is partnering with Swiss startup Taurus to provide crypto custody and tokenization services after making an investment in the firm's Series B back in February. Deutsche said in June that it had applied for the appropriate licensing from German regulators in an attempt to be ready for the rollout of European crypto regulations, which are scheduled to come into effect next year. Taurus co-founder Lamine Brahami said Deutsche had begun due diligence of prospective crypto custody firms in late 2021. He said, quote, We won the deal a couple of quarters ago, so the bank became a client and then decided to take a stake in Taurus. The partnership focuses on cryptocurrencies, but we are well known for going beyond cryptocurrencies. So where it sees fit, the bank will be able to tokenize assets and provide asset servicing. Now, I certainly think that this reflects a trend that we are going to see much more of in this cycle, which is big traditional actors coming into the space. The question is whether companies like Swan and River can differentiate with their Bitcoin-only focus to provide a competitive service that Bitcoin-native companies choose over the biggies. Getting close to the end here, just a couple more quick stories. One is follow-up from a kind of wild moment. Two weeks ago, one lucky Bitcoin mining pool received an unexpected windfall. A Bitcoin user submitted a transaction for around $2,000 in Bitcoin and attached a gigantic 20 Bitcoin fee worth over half a million dollars. This was the largest fee paid in the history of the Bitcoin network in dollar terms. At the time, average network fees were around $2. People quickly tried to figure out what the heck was going on, with explanations ranging from an obscure money laundering scheme to a fat-fingered typing mistake. Or, you know, maybe someone just really wanted their transaction in the next block. However, some analysts started to dig into the wallet's history and deduced it was likely a well-established firm having difficulties with their software. Jameson Lopp again tweeted, 
The transaction that paid nearly 20 Bitcoin fee a few hours ago looks like an exchange or payment processor with buggy software. They've received 60,000 plus transactions and sent 60,000 plus transactions from the same address. Bad practice. And likely calculated their change output incorrectly. The address in question that made the fee calculation error has the characteristics of a withdraw-only hot wallet from an enterprise. It looks like it only receives deposits from one address to top up its balance every now and then. Now, in terms of the mining pool which received the generous tip, it was Stakefish. Stakefish co-founder Chan Wang said, We'll put these 20 Bitcoin on hold for now, to be redistributed to miners if nobody comes to claim it after three days. Pretty soon, on-chain analysts started to speculate that the wallet belonged to PayPal, as it was associated with another wallet tagged as belonging to the payments firm in some analytics software. Mononaut, a developer at Mempool Space, unraveled the connection but wasn't clear on whether PayPal outsourced the handling of their Bitcoin wallets. Mononaut tweeted, All evidence now points to a software bug like this as the cause of the error. I feel really bad for the developer who wrote that code. It's such an easy mistake to make, and it should have been caught in review. More importantly, there should have been monitoring and sanity checks in place to prevent actual loss of funds. In reality, the system was apparently running completely unmonitored, since PayPal didn't notice or halt withdrawals for almost 24 hours. Some other thoughts? Single address wallets are terrible for privacy. It was trivial to unravel PayPal's entire wallet structure and payment history from one known transaction. Bitcoin software is complex and unforgiving. And finally, big companies are way worse at it than you might expect. Some other Bitcoiners took PayPal to task even more. Cobra Bitcoin said, This is funny considering PayPal's history of freezing people's accounts and making recovering their money basically impossible or very difficult. Maybe whoever mined this block can make PayPal jump through serious KYC AML hoops to get their Bitcoin back. Open a support ticket. Wicked Smart Bitcoin said, PayPal just got a crash course on what a truly immutable ledger is. Now, later the day that all this speculation was happening, Paxos released a statement admitting that the Bitcoin transaction was sent by them. Alongside their stablecoin business, Paxos operates a crypto brokerage arm that manages corporate Bitcoin transactions. They claimed that user funds were not affected and that the mistake was, quote, due to a bug on a single transfer and it has been fixed. Paxos said they were in contact with Stakefish to arrange a return of the funds. Now, the story took a turn after the announcement, with Chun Wang considering backing out of his promise to return the mistaken fee, seemingly because Paxos had failed to contact him within the three-day window. On September 13th, he tweeted, I was annoyed and regretted agreeing to refund that 20 BTC, especially when I saw the person claiming it kept saying EST instead of UTC. Wang attached a poll asking Twitter users what should be done with the excessive fee, leading 36% to vote that the fee should be distributed to miners, with only 29% thinking Paxos should receive a full refund. Ultimately, the fee was returned to Paxos shortly afterward, with everyone getting a valuable lesson on the inherent risks and care needed around irreversible transactions. Lastly today, a very cool little one if you haven't already seen it. A video of legendary cryptographer and Bitcoin pioneer Hal Finney has been recovered, which shows him giving a presentation at a 1998 crypto conference in Santa Barbara. Obviously, as the conference predates Bitcoin, we're talking about cryptography, not cryptocurrency. Finney's presentation covers the currently relevant topic of zero-knowledge proofs. At the time, the cryptographic design of ZK proofs was little more than a theoretical concept, but they have since become a fundamental privacy and compression feature of modern blockchains. The video shows Finney explaining in detail how ZK proofs could be performed on an SHA-1 hash. SHA-1 is a cryptographic hashing function published by the NSA in 1995. In the video, Finney explains the concept, stating, I want to prove to you that I know a message that hashes to a given hash value using the SHA-1 hash. I don't want to reveal anything about the message to you. It's a zero-knowledge proof, and I've written a program to do this that I'll tell you about. Alas, back in 1998, ZK proofs were unable to be processed due to hardware limitations. As Finney put it in his presentation, they were inefficient or impractical. 
Now, the recovery of this presentation could not be more timely. This month, two independent groups put forward proposals for the implementation of ZK proofs on Bitcoin. The feature would allow sidechains to publish their state to the Bitcoin blockchain as a data packet. Sidechain nodes can then access this data to verify the state of the sidechain. Both projects leverage the Ordinal's inscription system to verify the order of data being written to the blockchain, ensuring these sidechains have canonical transaction ordering. And while there are many criticisms of sidechains on Bitcoin, to some, the potential of expanding the functionality of Bitcoin-affiliated chains is tantalizing. Both ZK projects, for example, could make Ethereum-like smart contract functionality available to developers. Transactions would be processed on the sidechain before settling back to the base layer of the Bitcoin network. This would allow these sidechains to use the underlying security of the Bitcoin network while expanding the basic functionality of the blockchain. All of that could be done without the need for a soft fork, eliminating potentially the political difficulty of modifying the Bitcoin protocol. And yet, of course, that is the topic for an entirely different show, as it is a big one, and likely one that we're going to continue to have. For now, that is where we will wrap this Bitcoin Builders Weekly Recap. I want to say thanks one more time to my sponsor in Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first and only startup accelerator dedicated entirely to Bitcoin and Lightning, and I cannot recommend more that you go check them out. Thanks as always for listening, and until next time, let's build. Let's build.